Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the Watford Buzz podcast, the show where we talk about the greatest team in the land, Watford Football Club. Today, I'm once again joined by Jordan Weimer and Tom Burrell. And gents, we have a win to chat about. Watford, of course, dispatched Huddersfield 2-0 at home last Saturday. Jordan, uh, it was a hard-fought victory. Or did the result come due to Huddersfield errors? What, what's, what's, your, what's your thinking there? I think it's probably a little bit of both, isn't it? Um, Huddersfield were well, obviously in a difficult situation with availability of players. But I think we I think we did a pretty decent job of... Um, of exploiting them in the end it wasn't quite perhaps as, as fluid as you'd have liked and it maybe was a bit more of a grinding out a result kind of situation but I think uh, yeah it's definitely a mixture of the two for me Tom was you happy with the game? You know it's one of those where you're happy with the result ultimately aren't you we, we got what we needed done it was probably a case of achieving the bare minimum more than flourishing it certainly wasn't a an A plus paper that we turned in, but we got the pass mark and we move on. And we've, you know, we've got a, a tough little run now, haven't we? Quite a few games in quick succession. Um, we come out with no injuries and so on. So I think all, all, all in. It's uh, it was a good afternoon's work. Absolutely, we've got a lot of games coming up, haven't we? Saturday, Tuesday, it's going to be a real good one. I think I think a lot of fans enjoy football coming as quick as as quick as it can and, and that's one of the positives of being in the championship that uh, we wouldn't have necessarily had in the Premier League uh, Munioff made four changes for the last game with Familia Dini Cleverly and Semmer returning to the starting lineup, and uh, two of those four really stuck out for me I mean they all had a, a reasonable game uh, probably at least recording above a six but uh, for me Familia and, and Cleverly uh, stood their head out above the parapet above those four what, what did you think what did you make of them Jordan yeah I think uh, they both did very well I think um, obviously Cleverly's goal is uh, definitely a talking point in the sense that it was <laughs> pretty indicative of his whole performance really just that kind of just he's just a busy player isn't he like he's the kind of guy that's going to put one on you in training and he's just that he just has that little extra bit to him I, I think he I think he can sometimes look a little bit uncomfortable but ultimately he puts in the performances regularly enough and I think it it does benefit the team um I think he did very well for many or two. I think he just, as we said before, he's one of them players that kind of looks like he's playing below his level. You can tell that he's a he's a cultured fullback and he's comfortable on the ball and he just he makes that right hand side a lot more a lot more dangerous. So I think those two definitely stuck out, um, especially the ones coming back in. And yeah, they deserved their place in the team yesterday. 
Yeah, Tom, it was a really courageous effort, wasn't it, from Cleverly? And, and he sort of chased after the ball when, when perhaps um, you'd expect someone like Troy Deeney to do that kind of job. But it wasn't him. It was it was Tom that that, um, that ran forward. And, he, and um, yeah. you know, he, he got his toe on it and he stuck it in and, and he was very happy about it. What did you make of his performance? Yeah, I think, we, I think we talked about Cleverly, I think, one way or another on quite a few podcasts recently, certainly the ones I've been on. And, you know, he's not uh, Etienne Capoue in terms of his passing range. He's not... Uh, you know, maybe Domingos Keener in terms of his ability to to drop a shoulder and carry the ball. He's not Will Hughes in terms of, I must admit, I struggle to define what Will Hughes does, but I recognise that he's good. But, he and I think Jordan actually summed it up best in his tweet yesterday, which was something along the, the lines of him being a real busy bastard. And he just is, isn't he? Just You know, he just he's just a grafter. Like, if that's his, his most saleable asset then it's not a bad thing to have at, at this level. And his kind of, his, you know, kind of work rate and diligence and getting stuck in and what have you, I think is something that we need uh, in this squad and in this team to kind of transmit throughout and, you know, rub off on the other players. And, you know, it didn't go unnoticed earlier in the season, for example, that, that Luton game that we were talking about a minute ago off air, he was the one, uh, you know, kind of adding a little bit of spice on a couple of occasions, you know, bumping chests with people, uh, you know, trying to make it a little bit more of a derby as, you know, it was a very tame derby. But in terms of his performance yesterday, I thought he was very good. And the goal, you know, just under underlines the kind of player he is really. is kind of uh, typical of a player like Tom. Second real freak goal he's got this season, of course, the, the Stoke one as well. Um I was critical of Troy Deeney in our little WhatsApp group immediately after. You know, Troy, uh, he's he's a striker. You'd expect him to be the one nearest the goal, to be the one maybe pressing the keeper. But the momentum that Tom Cleverley had to get there, I think Tommy Mooney said in commentary, he'd run about 50 yards or something to get there. So, you know what, fair play to him. That's, you know, him all over, isn't it? Just boundless energy. And a word too for Ishmael Asar, who kind of forces the comedy of errors that lead to the goal by getting up and winning a header that you know might not typically associate with someone like him whose who's skill set is very much running at people and being a direct player like that. He got up, I'm, I'm not sure if it was Harry Toffolo or someone else, but got up, won the header and then, and then O'Brien pops it back to Alex Vallejo who obviously um, puts it back to the keeper and, and, and the goal comes from there. So it was... It was probably the kind of game where it was going to take a goal like that because I don't think there were that many um, clear-cut... They certainly didn't have any clear-cut chances and we probably didn't have many either, to be quite honest, apart from uh, João Projo's second goal. Yeah. Or the second I think goal. You've also got, I think you just have to appreciate that sort of play. I mean, obviously, I think we kind of all want... Every fan wants to see a certain type of football at the club and you kind of... You want your standout players to be playing a certain way, but I, I think you can't underestimate that level of just application from the, from the play like that. He's some. As I, well, I should probably clarify when I said he can look uncomfortable. I just mean that he kind of. I feel like he's one of them in between players where you struggle to really find a system that he's suited for. You know, perfectly. He, he's not. He's he's not the most well-rounded midfielder. He's kind of does a little bit of everything, but not particularly. I don't know. It's hard. To, it's it's hard to describe. I'm not trying to sound negative on him, but he. Um, when we did, when we criticize players generally, it's often often 
a frustration comes from the application, not not a lack of talent. And with Tom, you can't really ever criticise that part of his game. Um, and I think that sort of that sort of goal when the, when the ball's coming back to the keeper, I feel like so many times in football now you see that, and the strikers or whoever's chasing it down kind of let off a little bit, let their foot off the gas, and he just he doesn't at all. He goes for it, and he's he's you know he's he's not afraid of the of, of the keeper kicking through him. He, he just he gets his reward for it. So I think sometimes it's easy to look, overlook Tom cleverly, but you have to definitely appreciate what he brings to that to the side now. Paul Robinson scored a goal like that quite a few years ago now, sort of with a tackle um, mm. uh, in a home game. And I just, if I am right, then it, it's kind of, it's kind of poetic. It kind of, it, it underlines, it's not a coincidence that they're similar players in terms of, you know, being very wholehearted, you know, kind of, they get it sort of players, aren't they? Yeah. That just give their all, leave their all out there. I might, that might be a totally imagined memory, but I feel like it was not dissimilar. Well, and also, I know it's, I know it's cliche to, to to say that's what you want for your players in some ways, but it, I mean, it's a it's a physical embodiment on the pitch of a fan, isn't mm-hmm. it? Because you you want that the fans want to win more than anyone, as much as the players at least. So when you have when you have someone on the pitch is actually kind of implementing that and they're showing that it does it is obviously kind of contagious to the team, and also you can definitely relate to it as a fan. So I think having someone that that does that is just it's, it's kind of invaluable. And there, don't get me wrong, I I don't think he's the best footballer in our team. I don't think he's our best midfielder in the team, but you, you can always entertain an argument for including that sort of player. Um, and I wouldn't be against him being in the team, regardless of uh, what system we're in, if he's going to be providing that sort of uh, that sort of performance and, and that kind of momentum that it can bring you. So I'm kind of, I'm pleased with Tom too because he's had he's had some rough periods of his, of his career in the last. Well, I mean, across his whole career, really. So it's good for him to be in the team and scoring goals. And it, even if it's not the prettiest, it's just. It's just good to see. Just ask him, Jordan, if, if everyone's fit in the midfield lineup that Watford has at their disposal, or, or is he I a mean, bench player? What? To be honest, it's a difficult one. I think it really depends on. I think it really depends on the situation. I think you have to use Tom cleverly in in certain situations, and if he's performing like that, then I'd say you do. You find a way to put him in the team. Um, but if you're talking about on paper best foot, best players, I, I probably wouldn't start him. But I think there are situations where it's necessary. Um, and I think that's also kind of something when you talk about the best lineup in, in general for for a team. I think there's so many factors that come that play a part, especially in the league or like a championship where the division's close. I, I think having different options and different ways of approaching games and not being too rigidly stuck to a particular particular eleven can benefit you. So I think having cleverly as an option should always be considered. And if if the situation's right, then definitely play him. I thought probably one of his most interesting roles we've seen, we saw it a little bit from Ivic um, this season actually, was when he plays as that most advanced midfielder in a midfield three. And he's almost a, he's playing a defensive role in attacking midfield position where he's just disrupting the disrupting the, the defensive midfielder for the opposition or the six, the eight, and just trying to get the ball and stop them building up from the back. So he's got a few different uses to him. And he, he can play in that position without being a traditional number 10, but he can be effective. So I think if you're clever with how you use him, then you know there's no reason that he shouldn't be involved. Up to that point, though, it was similar problems up front for Watford, I feel. Yeah, Huddersfield offered very little, but we weren't a whole lot better, were we? We had Joao Pedro after about 10 minutes, we sort of turned and low shot, pushed away well by Ryan Schofield. But I'm struggling to remember another chance in the first half other than the, the Ishmael Asar one, which wasn't too dissimilar. I was watching the highlights prior to this to refresh my memory, and it was telling that the, 
the club had condensed the first half into about one and a half minutes in a, in a seven minute video. <laughs> yeah. um, it felt like we kind of got possession in the middle third quite often. Huddersfield weren't pressing us with any great intensity, I didn't feel. And we would either try and do a big diagonal out to Ken Semmer or sort of clip one in behind for Joao Pedro to chase, but without a, a great deal of success. And the kind of the move broke down between midfield and attack an awful lot. And that was probably why we didn't have an awful lot of opportunities for me. I thought, yeah, I thought Huddersfield, I actually thought their game plan was pretty, pretty decent. I think they established that we weren't the most progressive in midfield and we weren't the most dangerous kind of looking forward from the midfield too. So I think they, they were quite clever in playing quite tight on our wide men. I think Semmer and Saad didn't really have too much space. They did a good job of getting to them, both of those players quickly when, when they got possession or when they were close to getting possession. And then having the ability, they, they kind of switched between that back four and the back three throughout the game. And that back three really kind of nullified our front two um, and kind of forced our, forced our central midfielders to play, which I think is a, good, is, a, is a good tactic from the opposition is make those two players the ones on the ball and make them make things happen because it's generally not as not as dangerous as, as the, the wide areas in the pitch. So I think they did a decent job. I think they just kind of eventually got worn down. And obviously the, Cleverley's goal was not coming from a particular piece of play from us or a pattern of play but yeah I think their, their actual plan wasn't too bad um, and I think that's something we've got to watch out for in the future too because that's something that could be done by a perhaps a slightly better team and we'd had a bit more trouble actually kind of getting a result from that game so I, I didn't think they were I don't think it was just down to us that we weren't able to to function as smoothly as we'd like um, we saw a few of the same issues in the front too, but I do think Pedro offers a little more. I think his movement in the box is much better and he was able to drop a little bit deeper. Uh, and we saw, saw the same thing from Troy, just operating in that that area just off the edge of the box on the left-hand side and didn't really manage to get into the game too much. So, yeah, I think it's a bit of them and a bit of us really that kind of led to that stuttering first half, especially up front. It feels more and more like Ja Pedro has to be the man this season to, to be in the team. He, he's the player that seems like he's... He's more likely to score than any of the other forwards that we have at our disposal. But who is the best player to play alongside him uh, that we have currently? Uh, or do you think that he should be deployed up front on his own? I think again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pigeon, I wouldn't be too set on who you play with him. I think you'd look at opposition and and just current former players. But I think he can play with a few different options. I mean, he's that sort of player that's gonna. He's actually got quite. I think he's improved a little bit over the re, over recent weeks. Just even just coming back, it looks a bit sharper in the box. And I think if you have someone next to him, more of a perimeter role, he's kind of got a little bit, a little bit of movement that kind of understands his positioning in the box a little bit more, a little bit sharper in the penalty area. Then he can drop deeper and he can be a bit of a provider. Or you could play him with someone like Troy as did yesterday. He's able to kind of get into the box and make them runs. I mean, I think he's quite. I think he's quite versatile in that sense. So I think really you just decide who you're playing next to him based on, on merit for the other position and then he'll adapt depending on that but I do agree that I do think he's one that you've got to have in the team um, and I think you can play him from the wing if necessary but I, I do think he's a, he's kind of get, he's coming on in that central role and I think that's someone that he can play for us and, and be effective I felt as though um, and I want to pick up on a point here that Tommy Mooney made in commentary that Saar demonstrated just how good and at the same time how frustrating he can be in the way that he perhaps goes down a little bit easy once he's felt the tug despite the fact that he could he could quite obviously go on Tom do you know what I'm talking about yeah there was a there was a couple of times yesterday where it was very noticeable wasn't it that he uh, yeah it felt such so okay so 
probably entitled to go down, but the the more the greater benefit would have been staying on his feet and running at people. You know, we know that there probably aren't many people that are in this division that are as good as him at, at running at people and beating beating fullbacks. And you just think, you know, go on and 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 they're scared of you ultimately. So go on, and and they're more likely to either commit another error and foul you closer to goal or foul you in the penalty area or get beaten entirely and then you've got space to run into which is even probably even better at because of his you know just sheer speed of him um and and and, and deliver a dangerous ball it is a little bit frustrating and you you wonder and I hope that guys like cleverly and Deeney and what have you are probably going to be taking him under their arm this week and just you know under their wing this week I should say and say you know you could probably cut that side of your game out a little bit and and be even more effective. Mm. There was that one in the first half, wasn't there, where I think the ball was kind of going down the sideline and Saar had the opportunity to run and beat his man. He had a bit of a touch and he just stopped and started walking and nothing was given. He just went out for a throw-in. And that I think that's probably the... I'm not sure if that's the moment where the, where the comment was made by Tommy Mooney, but that was definitely one that stood out as being a little bit frustrating. I can understand... I can understand if you lose a bit of momentum, maybe, and you you maybe not you maybe second favourite to the ball, and you're going down a bit soft. I, I can get I can understand I can get on board with that, but when it's kind of a a foot race and you've beaten your man and you've got the advantage, you're not getting any benefit from getting a free kick anyway. It's just it's not it's not terribly effective. But I think that's just the sort of personality, sort of player he is, and it's kind of it's kind of the culture of of um of the of the football that he's played. So. Maybe it will change. Maybe it won't be part of his game. But I don't know. I think there's also a little bit of an arrogance that comes from that, and it's not necessarily a negative to have arrogance in in a in a wide man either. So I think you kind of have to just take the rough of this move on that one and just accept that's probably how he's going to play. Following on from the United game, I, I was really looking forward to seeing more of Zinchenko after an exciting debut. Uh, but we only really saw 14 minutes at the end, and and it, again it was on that left hand side. What was your opinion of, of that decision? And and also, do you feel that, that we need to find a way of, of getting Zinkenagel on his preferred side in a game that, that also uses Saar as well? Or, or I mean, it's a difficult one because Saar is, you know, is on his day the best the best player in the league. So surely you can't be leaving him out in favour of somebody who is a little bit unproven at championship level. But we've seen the, the, the potential that this guy has. I was a little bit surprised he didn't start because I thought he did well against Man United and I tweeted as much prior to the game. Um, I guess it's a case of easing him in a little bit, right? You know, we've got, as we said, we've got a lot of games coming up in, in a, is it four and ten days or something like that in a very short space of time. So I suspect he's going to play and the decision was that today he'd get a little bit of a break. I think in, in, to answer your question about Saar specifically, you can't drop him unless he's playing awfully. So I think there has there's going to have to be some jiggery pokery from uh, Chisco to get him Pedro Dini if he's committed to playing Dini and Zinkenagel or Ken Semmer in the team, which you know is the archetypal cliched nice headache to have. And now I'll pass to Jordan for a, a better answer. <laughs> no, I, I think um, yeah, no, I think Tom's right. I think he was being easy. I, I think it's a good chance he's probably already down to play on, on Tuesday. I wouldn't surprise me at all if he's starting then. Um, I think in, in talking long-term about Zinkenegger being the team, I think it is, I think it's important that he's on the pitch. I think on the right, you get the most out of him. Um, I think if you were, it's obviously hard to say because we're still trying to, it's very early on into his career in the championship. We kind of try to judge how, how well he's transitioned. But I think if you're talking about 
what player you lose more from moving out moving out of position I'd say you probably lose more from Zinkenegel I think he's shown that he's very comfortable in that right I know Saar has too but I think Saar's got a little bit more a little bit more versatility to his game in a sense that we've seen that he can play in the central position it's not been perfect but I'd rather kind of get a little bit of diminishing returns from Saar and get the most out of Zinkenegel on that right hand side personally um, but there are going to be times in the season where you're not going to be able to play all of them through fitness and the suspensions or whatever so I think being able to have that that, that versatility of, of changing around is, is good um, I do kind of generally I generally go by the thought of get your best players on the pitch no matter what you want to always like have your best players on the pitch and find a way to suit them don't get stuck to your to your don't be rigid in your system because you, you don't want to accommodate certain players you want to stick to the certain system I think you need to be able to find a way to make sure they're all playing I do think one of the one of the problems we do face is that it's slightly dangerous to have all three of your wingers available on the pitch at once. Um, I think that maybe plays a little bit into our thinking. It's, 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 it is a big risk if one goes down and you're in a difficult situation. So that might play a part. But for me, I think going forwards, if you did want to pair, pair Sar and Pedro up front and keep Sarah on the left and Zinkenegel on the right, then I think that would be a good option. Um I just think we have to be we have to be looking at a way to get him playing on that right hand side because that is where the best of him comes from and we we've seen that through his his, his career um, and that's why we signed him. You've um, had a look, haven't you, at the game when um, Saar played up front with Pedro? What was your verdict from that one, Jordan? I think we're 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 watching him play the different Pedro. I think Pedro's improved. I think his movement and his his awareness up front has improved. I don't think that I don't think he's a striker personally. I don't think he's I don't think we'll ever see his best position be a striker. I could be wrong, but it, it's not his most natural position at this point anyway. Um, but you've still got a good player up front in the, in those situations. He can drift out wide, and and Zinchenko's happy to come in into more central areas too. He's happy to run out the box and and drift in and. He'll keep on that right foot a lot, but he's he's comfortable doing that. So, I think you get a little bit more, a little bit, a little bit more fluidity in them forward areas. But I think when you've got a four for two, especially when we've had some issues being, you know, creating chances, I don't think there's any there's any problem by having with having a striker that's happy to drift into wide areas. I think honestly we could have done with that a few on a few occasions in in recent games anyway. If you're looking at the Andre Gray and Dini uh, performances, having someone that's willing to move. So yeah, we know we know what to expect with Sar in the sense that he's not going to have his back to goal. He's not going to be rolling defenders in that way, but he is a threat, especially if you're if you're playing against a team that is starting to creep up the pitch. Then they've constantly got to respect that that break from Sar. And if you've got Zinchenko on the right hand side too, I, I just think it's something that's worth trying. And you know, you don't have to stick with it, but it's something that could, could be productive for us. And we're not we're not as efficient or not as creative as we'd like to be right now. So I don't really think we should rule out anything. And uh, they're they're two of our better players. So, yeah, they should be on the pitch. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, now, Tom, at the complete opposite end of the pitch, Daniel Backman kept his place mm. for the Man United game, uh, mostly, I think, due to a Ben Foster injury. But we spoke after that United game about how impressive he was despite conceding. And in this game, he went one better, keeping a clean sheet. Uh, it was in a shorter performance. And, uh, but to be fair, he didn't really have much to do as he admitted himself after the game. Uh, Tom, what was your opinion? And, um, you know, how did he do? Yeah, it's well, I think, didn't he? It was an unremarkable performance, and that's probably what you want in so much as he came in and, and, and just dealt with everything. A bit like um, away at Old Trafford a week prior. I must admit, when we when we had that discussion about him taking over from Foster, I thought, no chance, you know, he's he's being, definitely being groomed to be in contention to be the next number one. But, you know, I think they will use Foster until it's no longer viable. Um, <clears throat> and having been on the bench at... 
Old Trafford, I assumed Foster was absolutely fine, but obviously this finger injury has got the better of him. And with, with as we've said several times already, game's coming thick and fast. It wouldn't surprise me now if Batman got a couple in succession. And to be honest, the timing is probably quite good in so much as off the back of a game, you know, he he comes in and if he has to play three or four games now in quick succession, you know, he's not coming in completely cold. He has had a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit of football, which he might not have had. Uh, without the without the FA Cup tie, I think the thing that gets probably forgotten with Daniel Backman or, or people are just aren't aware of is he is actually twenty six years old. He's got you know nearly twenty caps for Austria's under twenty ones. He's played fifty league games in his career, which is you know not a, a huge amount um, for someone at twenty six, but that's still youngish for a, for a goalkeeper. Um, and, and you know he obviously played quite a lot of games up at Kilmarnock uh, two or three seasons ago now where he was was really quite impressive. I think I'm right in saying they got to the Scottish Cup final that year under Steve Clark. So, you know, he's not this complete rookie. It's not like we were throwing, um, you know, someone like Adam Parks or Pontus Dahlberg, albeit he's out on loan at the moment. Um, although I think I saw that he's just had surgery, so he must be injured. Um, you know, someone with far less experience in anyway. Um, you know, he, he's not a complete rookie. But no, I thought overall he, he did very well. And I have... Absolute confidence in him going forward if he needs to deputise for Ben Foster, which you can't always say of your, you know, fairly inexperienced backup goalkeeper, can you? Yeah, he looks ready for this, doesn't he, Jordan? Oh, he does. I mean, I think personally, when I when I read the team sheet, I think I wasn't initially thinking that Foster was injured. I actually kind of thought to myself, actually, that's not that's not that crazy of a decision. Then obviously realised that Foster wasn't on the bench and he's is injured so I, I think even just the fact that there's a level of confidence around him coming in as, as Tom's saying there the backup goalkeeper is is at a level you can feel pretty comfortable with him playing um, he didn't as we've said didn't have a ton to do I don't think his performance was as good as United because he just didn't have as much action it wasn't dealing with balls into the box and facing shots but it doesn't really matter. I think he he's he's done enough to to show that he's at a level where he can perform and he can be our he can be our starter if necessary. Um, I think if you're talking about him playing his way into the spot, you have to give him the opportunity to do that. He has to have another game to kind of nail that position down. And I think with the next game coming so quickly, there's a good chance that Foster's not ready in time. Um, it, it's a finger injury, so it's it's difficult to judge how far off he'd be and how much he can play through with that. Um, so it could come down to back when being forced into that opportunity but I think that'd be a good thing I think he'll also have an eye on the game on Friday against his former club Stoke so that should be that'd be quite interesting if he had that opportunity but yeah I'm feeling pretty good about the goalkeeper uh, position it's not a not a bad situation we find ourselves in currently and just ahead of him we we also saw the truce Ekong and Trelta partnership again and I have to say I'm I'm quite liking it yeah I, I do think um Truce Kong maybe struggled a little bit on the ball yesterday he kind of he had a few stray passes which put us under a bit of pressure and that's probably where the most of the hardest foot threat came from was just from a few loose balls. I think one into Cleverly and maybe one into Chala, but it just didn't quite come off. But defensively, we, we saw what we expect to see from, from a Kong and I thought Serialta was very good again. He's kind of been the breakout player, that kind of unexpected uh, player of the season for me in some ways. So far, he's, he's done very well. Um, he was dominant again in the box, good in the air. His, his passing was nice and simple, but he was assured and didn't give the ball away. And There's not too much else you can really ask from a centre-back in that sort of game. So I think as a pair, they did pretty well, but... 
for me at the moment it's kind of a decision of who you put in next to uh, next to Serialta. Yeah, and, and and the table doesn't really lie, Tom. I mean, if you look at the uh, the goals against column, there's only one team that's that's better than Watford in in the division, and I suppose you have to put that down to the, you know the likes of Ben Foster and also the defence, which uh, clearly has been has been you know really really decent this season. Yeah, I must admit that's news to me. And as you said that, I started pulling up the table to see how few we conceded and, and who was better than us it's Swansea that's got the, the slightly better defensive record than us it's, I'll tell you what's interesting about that for me is that we, we knew that Ivic was going to you know build his team around a solid defence we knew that much from his time in Israel and his, his previous coaching career only you know very minimal research told you that he was going to be a kind of defence first coach but the interesting thing about that for me is that the centre-backs have changed you know pretty routinely throughout the season um, you know, we started with the the three centaurs, Cathcart, Cabasali, and, and Wilmot, and they all sort of got rotated a bit more once uh, Trustikong came in. You know, Sir Alta, as we said, and we've I think we've talked about him on every episode now since he's played because he has done that well. Um, you know, didn't get a look in at all until a few weeks ago, and even then it was only because uh, three of the other centre backs were all injured. We've now obviously switched to a back four. Uh, so you know, there's 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 fewer places, and he, you know, it, as Jordan rightly says, it's it, on form. It's Sir Alta plus one, isn't it? And I think that's the impressive thing that we're not just talking about, you know, two centre halves who have played twenty three games each, and and everybody else barely having a look in. The, the games have been shared around, be it by design or COVID or injury or whatever. Um, there's there's not one settled partnership, and and quite often with defensively solid teams, you have that basis don't you so yeah all, all power to them they're obviously working in some sense well as a team to to have such a, a, a good defensive record you'd have to say yeah I think that's probably one thing that's maybe a little bit overlooked from us as a fan base is we, there's been a lot of criticism in the recruitment team for years and I think even this summer when it came to not spending fees on players but I think they've done a mm. pretty good job of actually restructuring our defence and it looks a lot better and I don't think that's just down to the league we're playing and I think that some of those have been useful if we had stayed in the Premier League so I think they've done a good job there of um, of shuffling things around and bringing in the likes of Ngakia and the Syriata has obviously been playing very well Trista Kong I know that comes from our link at Udinese but they've still addressed the situation um, so yeah that, that has been definitely one of the positives and that's probably that's probably a pretty pretty good showing for the recruitment team in terms of uh, restructuring the defence which you know had looked very shaky at times for a number of years so centre back wise it now looks one of our strongest positions when it was definitely one of our weakest mm. and it's nice that they're all young as well I mean uh, I think Ekong is was 27 I think he was the oldest player in that back line yesterday I think well restructuring the, the age profile in general has gone down massively and that was something we complained about and something they said that said they'd address obviously you've got a little bit more room um, to do so in the championship if you're dropping down a level you can you can like, be a bit, a bit more free with those uh, younger players but less experienced and you're not requiring as high a level of performance but they've still gone out and done it and they've, they've actually you know they've contributed and they've been started in the team and the likes of Ngakia and Pedro and Wilmot they're all young players that that can be solid for us and they've they've been performing so they're definitely positives that we have to keep in mind with discussing the season as a whole I think. Tom it was also good to see Will Hughes stepping up his recovery again um, he didn't probably seem like he's got to the his level that he that he had been displaying earlier on but he um he's he's going to be an important player for Watford going forward. We feel, and um, it's good to see him back out on the pitch again. Yeah, it's been 
I must admit, I never anticipated that he'd be out for this long. I didn't really, you know, the club understandably are quite guarded about injuries a lot of the time. And I don't think it was ever sort of fully communicated the extent of his injury. And, you know, he has kind of been in the the period of kind of coming back from it for what seems like forever. Um, now, I think, did we first see him this season away at Barnsley, which was, you know, seems like an awful long time ago now, especially as they're our next game. So must mm. be must be a reasonably long time ago and obviously did uh, a large chunk of the 90 minutes, if not the entire game at Man United. Came on yesterday and I said earlier, I'm not really sure what it is he does. And I didn't mean that in a dismissive way. I just meant it in a sense of, I don't. It's quite hard to categorise him. Jordan might be able to give a bit more insight into this, but it's quite hard to categorise him as a this or that type of midfielder. But he does do most things very well, and we are unquestionably better with him in the team. So yeah, the sooner he's back, the the better for for Chisco and the rest of the the team, as far as I'm concerned. Box, I think he's hunched there. He's Is that the yeah. Is that well, I think. Of? I mean, he maybe lacks a little bit of the. I think maybe if you had to say. What Will Hughes is, what he lacks. I think you'd probably say he's not the athlete that we've had in, in other players in midfield, but uh, he could be box to box. Um, for me, I think he's just a very well rounded midfielder. He can play in advanced areas, he can play in deep areas. He's, he wants to receive the ball, he's comfortable anywhere. I think he's much better defensively than he gets credit for. Not from Watford fans, I think we've all seen enough of him to, to establish that, but I think he's often looked at as a creative number 10, kind of more attacking midfielder that he was at times at Derby, but I think he's just very well-rounded. So I think that's ideal, especially if you're playing the midfield too and you need that, that sort of player in there. Um, I think it makes a big difference. So I think you could really do what you want with Hughes, and which is a, a massive asset for any coach. It just gives you that flexibility to, to move things around and try different systems or whatever you need to do and you have someone that can play in anything so I, I think he's currently what we have now I think he's our best central midfielder and he should be in the team when available so if we can get him fit and, and we can kind of keep those little niggling injuries at bay for a while then that'll be 100% better for the team um, it's a shame we don't have someone very similar to him that we could play next to him but we've got a few different options now that we can look at and obviously we're talking about bringing, some, bringing someone in potentially um, but yeah it does make you does make me wish that we had uh, Tom Dilly Bashiri fit for example to have alongside him but for the meantime let's find another option because he should be uh, he should be starting when available. Is he being viewed as as the new playmaker, or is there somebody else in that role? That... I mean, I, I think I think you naturally kind of you ha- you have to accept when you play a four four two. Generally, you, you're going to accept that you, you're going to have limited contribution from your central midfielders and attacking areas. They're not going to be they're going to be a little bit more disciplined most of the time they're going to have to stay in, in deeper areas of the pitch and be ready to kind of soak up a counter-attack but also be able to kind of recycle the ball and if you've got the passing range like someone like Etienne Kapu had but you, you're just good enough that you can play from those positions and still be effective then then that's great and Hughes does have the ability to do that but I don't think it'll be his primary role I think his primary role is just to keep possession ticking over if you if you find an opportunity to go forward then you're good enough to play it then 100% go for it but ultimately it's just being measured and, and you're sacrificing threat from that area um, but so you can have that that dual threat of a front too um, so they kind of have to pick up that slack but Hughes is someone that is potentially good enough to kind of give you a little bit more there than what we've seen from Chalaba and cleverly as a two Tom also in midfield uh, there was someone you mentioned in the whatsapp group I think the, the sort of wording you put across was you'd be interested to see how United are viewing James Garner's mm. time here on loan do you want to expand on that a bit yeah 
I think the thing that's abundantly clear with, with James Garner is that he's been a victim of the system change. You know, under Ivic, we, we tended to play 3-5-2. So you had those three central midfielders and they could kind of have more clearly defined roles, as Jordan was saying earlier, rather than maybe being in a two where you've got to have kind of more all-rounders. Um, since Chisco's come in, obviously we've gone back to 4-4-2. So we've got two central midfielders. So there's, there's very clearly one place fewer than there was. Um, and, and I think, you know, the fact that he's not played now since, has not started, I should say, since Huddersfield away, you can kind of, you can make that that argument very clearly. I think the other thing to say is, I don't think he's been as bad as people make out. Uh, you know, in the early weeks of the season, I thought he looked quite good. And certainly that Luton game where he came in, he looked very cool and collected, decent passing range and what have you. I thought, you know, it looks like we've got a player here. But my, my concern is that, if United view him as someone that's got a, a decent future, and I think that's what the thinking seems to be, then, you know, we've not loaned him to be a squad player. You take players from on loan from top Premier League clubs, presumably because they're a significant upgrade on what you've already got or have got the potential to grow with you and become a significant upgrade. Um, so, you know, coming off the bench here and there, being a sub more often than not is probably not what United had in mind for him. So I wouldn't be entirely surprised if whoever's their kind of loan manager, whoever's that conduit between the club and the, the players they've got out on loan has been, you know, in dialogue with him and probably with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer or, or whoever he falls under if he's under the 23s category there, he probably is at United, um, you know, about maybe recalling him if they have the option and sending him somewhere where he's going to play week in, week out because I don't think it's doing him a lot of good being on the on the bench most weeks. So I guess we will probably find out in the coming weeks with the, the Tuesday, Friday, Tuesday that we've got now, um, or Tuesday, Friday, Tuesday, Saturday, um, if, if he's going to be involved or not going forward. But the, the signs so far in the first few weeks under Chisco are that he's not one of the first choice central two, even with Etienne Capugon. So, yeah, I just I just wonder how that is all being viewed by United. Mm. Sometimes it's written into the contract that they have to play a certain amount of minutes, isn't it? Maybe. Well, exactly. That's it. And George, suspect- you know more about that than us, but... Um... <laughs> Yeah, I think for them, they probably just want to get him somewhere where they feel that he can contribute. And I mean, obviously, they'd ideally want him to start, but I think there's an acceptance that he is a young player. And I, I maybe I'm not sure that we necessarily brought him in to be a starter better than what we have. I think, I think often teams will look at the loan market, especially when they're loaning from teams above them, as a way of improving squad depth because they get a young player that is accepted as being a young player and they can maybe have a little bit what they a little bit better than what they have in that department of their own kind of youth prospects but it gives you someone that's generally going to have a good level of availability they generally come in fit and you know they can contribute but you accept they're going to be a little bit rough on the edges at times sometimes they obviously just you know kick on and just look comfortable straight away but there's always that risk they're not going to be full starters from the moment they arrive at the club so at the moment I think he's maybe not not been involved as much as we'd have perhaps anticipated but that also is part of the as you you touched on there Tom the system change he's kind of got those attributes of that supplementary midfielder where he can kind of get up and down and he can he can he can keep the keep possession quite nicely but he's not again he's not massively influential in the games apart from perhaps set his set pieces at times so he's been a bit unfortunate um I don't think as you say as well I don't think he's been as bad I think we often we often gauge the feeling of the fandom as from what we see on Twitter which is maybe a bit a bit unfair but I think from what we see on there I think a lot of the time it's it's Watford fans get their back up a little bit because of the the, the 
incessant pestering from United fans asking how James Garner's doing or saying that he's the best player at our club and all this all this stuff I think maybe people get a little bit defensive and a bit more a bit heavier on criticism than they than perhaps need to be um, I personally don't see too much of a downside to him being in the squad for the rest of the season if he needs to be used and he'll be used but if not you know at the end of the season he goes back to United and kind of it works out for us and he might not have got the minutes he wanted but they find out a little bit more about the player they've got on their hands too Okay. Um, it's still the uh, the transfer season. Transfer window is open, and Watford have signed another player. Uh, his name is Thiago Kukor. I think that's how you say it. I could be uh, completely smashing that, or I could be making a real hash of it. But um, <laughs> he's, a, he's an exciting forward. Is in in the club's own words, he's an eighteen year old. He owns he holds citizenship in in Holland and Turkey. He left the Eredivisie side AZ Alkmaar in the summer. Um, what do we know about him, guys? Or do we know anything about him? Uh, do you think we? Do? I mean, it looks as though he's one for the future. He's sort of being put into that under twenty three setup, I think. But um, I mean, considering he's only a year younger than than Jao Pedro, is who's currently starting um, in that forward line. You know, maybe it's not not far away from 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 the the club's first team. What do we think? Yeah, I really don't know, actually. I, I, str- I had a look to try and uh, watch some of him, but I, I struggled to find too much footage. So he's a little bit of an unknown for me. Um, I'd like to see him play, but I think we might have to wait and, and see what we can get from the club. And that hope, I'm hoping when a player comes in that age, if they're not involved in the first-team squad, hopefully he'll get a loan somewhere. It might be difficult with everything that's going on right now, but if it was possible for him to be going and playing some football, that would be ideal. Um, but yeah, it, it could be possible that he's coming into that under-23 setup. Uh, but the, the move is maybe a little bit, I'd say it's a little bit more indicative of someone that you do have some some potential hopes of being involved in the first team at some point soon. So fingers crossed we get to see him go out on loan. Tommy, he's a good size, six foot three. Apparently he's good in the air. I mean, the sort of player that you know Watford could, could do with. Um, it, it, we've, we've only got one of those guys in that mould and, and uh, Stipe Preacher kind of has a bit of a injury record that is is not quite managing to get fully fit for a long enough period um i mean it's maybe unlikely like like jordan said that he'll be involved this year but um it's good to have somebody in the building that, that sort of fits those qualities yeah i've seen a, a brief kind of cursory google tells me that he's been sort of touted as a troy Deeney successor i suspect that as you say on the size kind of more than Anything seemed to have a, a reasonable record for Azad Alkmaar in, in in youth appearances. Eleven goals in twenty seven appearances is what's being touted. I have to admit, I've I've not been able to find anything particularly insightful about him, um, and I'm yet to even see if there's any clips or any particularly decent clips of him on Y Scout. What I will say is there's not me, unfortunately. There you go. Right there you go. So that'll save me a job. Uh, what I will say is that Azad Alkmaar have got a pretty good record of producing youngsters and I suppose if he was that good they would have they would have tried to hold on to him but um you know it's 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 a fairly low risk signing and with the with the nine substitutes and you know the the club having to obviously be take precautions uh whenever someone is 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 self-isolating or what have you I suspect we may very well see snatches of him between now and the end of the season so I'll be I'll be very interested to see how he does because we don't tend to sign players for the under twenty threes from uh, f- from a, from Europe from abroad that often do we we do we do tend to stock that under twenty three uh, group with kind of domestic signings or, or guys from South America I suppose um, it, through the Pozzo network but yeah I, th- I think he's quite an interesting 
sort of profile of signing. So, I mean, all that said, we'll probably never see him in a Watford shirt ever. But you know, that, <laughs> as you say, though, it's low risk, optimism. isn't it? It is. It's, low, it's it. low risk, and I think when you're looking at players like that, you you've maybe got a limited sample size of, of what you've seen in the player, and you kind of see a few traits that you like. And if the opportunity comes to sign him, then it's obviously going to be very, very small figures towards about if any. So if you have the opportunity to bring him over and have a closer look at him in, in your own in your own training ground and, and understand what the player is and see what see what's there, then it's worth doing. So if there's a scout out there that's seen a few things he likes, then it's 100 percent worth a go, and it's kind of no no real issue for us if it doesn't work out and if it does then you've you know it's bonus and the last player that Watford signed uh, from AZ Alkmaar Stephen Berghaus Stephen Berghaus yeah oh, good memory I was thinking Norden Vuta oh that <laughs> that's actually actually a better memory in some ways <laughs> yeah if, if incorrect I think did he not come from Real Zaragoza so completely wrong for oh, Dutch okay, at least yeah. <laughs> I really enjoyed I actually I'm really disappointed Stephen Berghaus is the one that got away from me in terms of yeah I'll tell you a good story about Stephen Berghaus I was at uh, Sopwell House this was when I was waiting for the Watford Observer I think enough time has passed that I can share this now but I was I was there uh, and we'd just done the press with Kike because at this point the club were uh, sort of refitting the press room in the Elton John stand uh, after promotion so they did all their press conferences at Sopwell House in St Albans so we went there and we'd spoken to Kike in the afternoon and I think I think we were just sort of milling around at that point there was only a couple of us and we were talking about Stephen Burkhouse and what have you, because he obviously come over with big hopes and uh, barely played at all. And this was all sort of off the record. But as I say, I think time has moved on enough now. And what Kike said was there was a game, and I want to say it was against Arsenal, where he told him to go and take a corner. And he basically, his confidence was so low that he didn't even want to go and take the corner. And I just thought after that point, I thought he's done at Watford then, basically. Oh, that's, that's so, a shame. Yeah, that's it. And obviously... Everything that he's done since, you know, going back to... Is it FC Twente he plays for now? Feyenoord. Feyenoord now, yeah. yeah. So, he, you know, he's done really well there. I think possibly even won caps for Holland, is that correct? He has, yeah. yeah. So, he has, yeah. That's it. You know, there's evidently a player there. You know, they are not short of decent players, are they, for a country their size, the Netherlands? He's doing well, I do, um, well. Yeah, and I think I think we handed him badly, though. Like, if his confidence was that low, I mean... I feel like he... he he's going to be in that situation in some ways. He didn't play at all. I do remember yeah. towards the end of the season when when we were pretty much, we were safe, we were comfortably safe, but we weren't playing very well. And I remember he got a few, he got a few appearances towards the end of the season. Yeah. I, I remember I remember being at the, um, it was Norwich away. and we, we lost the game, but he came on and he, he instantly just looked, the whole team looked different because that was a part of the season we were really struggling for any sort of, any sort of flair. And we just looked very pedestrian in, in attacking areas. And he, he instantly had a bit of injection of pace and he's looking at the in the box and then I think it was very good the last game of the season against Villa we won 3-2 I think he assisted, Villa, yeah. assisted yeah that was when that was I, I was very surprised we actually ended up moving on from him once once we kind of saw that towards the end of the season I thought that might have been enough but I guess a change in coach and system maybe uh, well, I was say, towards but especially because they were moving away from Kike because uh, yeah it's all very well and good to him saying you know he had no confidence at that stage but it's little wonder, you know, the, the the sort of football the team played, the way that Kike set them up and what have you, you know, his ideal was four central midfielders strung across the midfield, very narrow, very, you know, defensive minded, wasn't it? He had, I can remember one game where he had Barami, Abdi, Watson and another centre midfielder, whoever we had at that point in there. And I just thought, you know, this is Kike's utopia, basically. Yeah, four, even, very, I mean, Kapu had minutes out wide too. Yeah, Kapu would have been, that's it, exactly. So no wonder someone with his kind of flair and, you know, knack for running at people and what have you didn't get a look in 
Um, but yeah, one that got away, I think it's fair to say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, then next up it's Barnsley, uh, a team who beat Watford in the reverse fixture back on the Halloween game last year. This feels like quite a while ago now, doesn't it? But uh, they're, they're, they're a team that, who aren't that far behind Watford in the table, just six points below. Uh, Valerian Ishmael has done a great job since since taking over there. Um, what do we think, guys? Is, is this going to be a tough one for Watford? I think it will. I, I really like Barnsley. I think they're... I mean, they figured us out when we played them at, at Barnsley. I think they're one of the better teams that we've, we've played in terms of breaking us down and, and beating us in, on the coaching side of things. I think they did a really good job of pressing us in, in areas that we didn't want to be pressed and they made things very difficult in the field. I think we struggled to play out of it. So we've changed We've changed coach, obviously. We've got a different system, but I think their frailties are still somewhat there. I, I do think they're probably... I mean, they play in that way regardless. We were just a good matchup for them. They like to be aggressive and, and press high and, and press hard and make it, you know, make their own, make the opposition make their chances for them, uh, which we saw in that game. And Alex Murat scored a you know, ridiculous goal, but it was, it was it came from a, a mistake from us in, in possession. So I think they'll be looking to do the same thing. Honestly, um, I would be I would be cautious with this one. I think we'd have to be have to be smart, and I hope that we come up with a plan to kind of compensate for that pressure you might have to play a little bit more direct and see a little bit more movement in forward areas because they are susceptible um, defensively you just have to make sure that you don't make your own mistakes basically that's kind of how I feel about Barnsley under Ivic it felt as though um, whenever we conceded first it was almost as if that was it the game was over I don't I don't remember too many times coming back from from a defeated position again uh, whilst David was in charge. I wonder if that kind of mentality has changed under under Chisco. But if you've got the freedom to attack perhaps more I think under Ivic so much of your game plan is revolves around revolves around kind of playing at a, a lower tempo and and wearing the opposition down and kind of hitting them wide areas and just getting balls into the box that was the plan. So I think as soon as as soon as you concede, obviously the plan kind of goes out the window a little bit. We never really showed a change in mentality. We kind of st- stuck to our guns and continued the same way of playing. I don't think it kind of, I don't think it necessarily translates to coming back from behind. So maybe you get a little bit more of that under under Shishka. I think there's probably a little bit more confidence that we can we can go and attack and have a little bit more freedom. So yeah, I, I just I do think it's as I said. I think the key with Barnsley is is avoiding avoiding being forced into making your own errors and and being a little bit more. A little bit more pragmatic in, in possession at times if it avoids those mistakes in the kind of central positions and, and facing your own goal. Tom, what do you reckon? Yeah, I think Jordan's covered it all quite nicely. They are, you know, it's very clear what they're about. They're very high intensity, press high. No one in the division, no team in the division has made uh, more possession regains in the opposing third than, than they have. You know, no one's made more interceptions. Then they have the wing backs, you know, great energy, get very high. They, they attack a lot through through Callum Britton down the right hand side. They're going to be, they're going to be a, that's a, a tough nut to crack. Basically, they're they're tenth, I think, aren't they? So you know, they they're going to have ambitions of of getting in the playoffs. And I think in a game like this, you know, we probably saw kind of the opposite in a way against Huddersfield, who didn't press us particularly high and, and allowed us to have time on the ball in midfield and, and you know we still made some errors there didn't we the one that stood out for me was uh, Truce Kong kind of ambled forward a bit didn't nothing really moved or opened up for him so he tried a slightly ill-advised pass and, and gave the ball away and it was a you know one of the few times that um, Huddersfield got at us up to that point so we're going to have to you know ensure that we don't make errors like that and, and hand the ball to them on a plate um, and probably take the chances that come our way which hasn't all you know we've 
discussed this a lot and obviously Adam Leventhal wrote a piece about it, uh, you know, focusing on Andre Gray this week. You know, we aren't particularly clinical when chances come our way. So, yeah, I think I think we're in for a tough, very tough game. And I wonder with the wing-backs if um, Chisco might be tempted to, to change things at all. I don't know if you've got any feelings on that, Jordan. I suspect he probably won't, but I wonder if there's any wisdom in, in trying to match them up given we have played that way um, this season. Yeah, I think what I touched on earlier is having the having the flexibility and the, to change personnel depending on your opponent. I think is is definitely worth doing, especially when we have the the luxury to do so in certain positions. I think you touched on there with uh, with Trista Kong. I think we need to be smart in possession. I think having Will not in the team next to Serialta would be a smart move. Yeah. Um, I, I think that would that would help things. Um, I think a couple. I do actually want to mention from from yesterday's game. I think Chaba did. That's probably one of his better games he's had for us in, in recent times. He looked a little bit more, a little more comfortable on the ball. He was looking forward. He was a bit a bit quicker in his possession. Uh, he, he moved around the pitch a little bit better. So I think you'd feel you'd feel more comfortable with having him in there if he, if he's needed to be called upon. Um, I'd, I'd like to see Will Hughes in there also again, just someone that's comfortable playing out and and happy to kind of take that pressure and, and still re- remain calm and, and have the ability to, to actually find a pass. And then I think also going kind of full circle to uh, Zinkanek, I think this is uh, the kind of game that would really suit him um, as a, a solid technical player that can play in tight areas and he's happy to move and you have to move and you have to, you have to kind of, you have to make Barnsley pay for the risk they take in their press. Um, and that comes from, movement and it comes from forcing them into areas they don't want to be because obviously when you when you play that pressing system it's a risk reward and the risks are pretty high uh, if you have someone that can punish them that's happy to move into those areas and also has the pace to kind of hurt them when they have those wing backs pushed into advanced areas if you have someone on the pitch like Zinkenegel you have Saar and Pedro I think that's how you go about it and I think the last game we played, we really kind of, we fell into the trap of um, playing Kaput quarterback and just kind of shifting the ball into them wide areas and hoping we could break them down that way. I would hope that Shishko and his team are looking at the tape from the game we played against them last time and trying to work out a strategy that we can be a little bit more effective and, and stick to our plan rather than playing into Barnsley's hands, which we did last game. And to me, the way we do that is is by using the uh, the pace and the, the technical ability of the likes of Zinkenegel and Saar and Pedro. Score predictions. We haven't done we haven't done score predictions in in a little while on this show. Should we each have a little go of, uh, of, of, <laughs> yeah, go of on guessing what it's going to be? You lead, Matt. You go first, mate. Uh, all right then. Well, um, I think that um, Watford are going to win by two goals to nil again. They're going to they're going to keep this up two two nil. Interesting. Tom. One all. One all. Okay. I'm actually going for I'm going for three one. Three one. Wow. Nice. I'm going for a 1-1 half-time, 3-1 full-time. Oh, okay. Well, it's even better, that one. Um. <laughs> I just feel I just feel that as, as good as Barnsley can be, I do think at home, if we can if we can just deal with that press enough, I do think there's going to be space there. And I think we have the personnel to actually hurt them more so than we did in the previous game. So that would be, that would be my hope. Good stuff. It was it was early in the season, wasn't it? That that uh, the defeat or early-ish in the season that defeat at Barnsley, and I think we were kind of we were we were missing people, weren't we? And we were kind of still trying to find our feet a little bit at that point. Um, it's a really bad was, matchup. That's, that's that was the problem. It was a really bad matchup for us, and we we it kind of went how I think we kind of expected it to go in that sense. We didn't have a shot on target looking at the stats. So. No, that's, no, we we didn't. And I mean, that's the problem when you've got when you've got a 
you've got Ivic had a side where he was trying to make into a possession-based team. We didn't have a great deal of ball players in the team in any position in that game. Um, and we, we didn't look that comfortable in possession. We didn't look very sharp. We were a little bit slow and we didn't look very confident. And then when you have a, a, an opponent which whose primary focus is to make you uncomfortable in possession and force you into risky situations, then it's kind of a recipe for disaster. Really. I think in some ways you look at Barnsley and you, you kind of underestimate them perhaps. But I, I think on paper, when you actually look at how the t- two teams played, that was actually probably one of the games that went as predictably as possible in, in some respects. Wow. It's it's all about how we how we adapt to it and, and try and find a way of, of improving this one. I just hope that I hope we don't approach this game cold. I hope we don't kind of go into this game thinking about just how we're going to play. We need to actually look at Barnsley and they're a team that you have to be very aware of what the way they play. Another win would take them potentially to third. It's one of those where managers will say they don't look at the table, but um, everyone else bloody does. So, yeah. <laughs> I was actually just looking. I went through and watched some of the some of the like, part of the games from this weekend, um, and looking across the teams, I think what did stick out is that that second place is still definitely up for grabs. I think every team, you could say bar Norwich, but even Norwich had their own frailties. But every team has some deficiencies, and I don't think anyone's quite the finished product yet. So, whilst there's room for improvement for us, I think there's that there is the opportunity to catch up and I went through and watched some of Bournemouth yesterday and I was a little bit surprised by how negative they were. Um, they, You would think there'd be kind of a bit more of an offensive attack in my team but there were, there were definitely times they were quite defensive and they didn't really look to kind of capitalise in, in that game and I do think there's maybe some frustration there from Bournemouth fans as well. I kind of had a look around on Twitter afterwards and it seems to be a bit of a, a common trend in those in, in their fixtures. So no one's perfect and I think as long as we can see some incremental improvements I think there's still the opportunity uh, to go for that, that second spot even if right now we're kind of performing at more of a, a playoff level. Yeah, it's definitely uh, a weaker championship than it has been in recent seasons. And if Watford don't end up in the in that top two, um, I think they would consider it to be a real disappointment because it certainly is up there for grabs. OK, then. Well, that's it for this episode. My thanks uh, both to yourself, Jordan, and you, Tom, for joining me once again. Uh, you can find those guys on Twitter at Jordan Weimer and at TB Burdell. They always put out some really good content, so get on there, start replying to them. Um, okay then we'll be back to chat about that Barnsley uh, game hopefully it'll be a victory Uh, so until then enjoy your week Um, from Tom, Jordan and myself it's goodbye for now Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 